The story of Cain and Abel is a familiar story. It was the first murder. Recorded in Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills his younger brother Abel. Think about it. We are only four chapters into God's Word. We just finished reading up about God's good creation, and now we are reading about a murder. Cain was a bad man. I would venture to say most of us have not done what he did, which makes us a lot better than Cain. Unfortunately, this is not quite true. Every time I hear Jesus' teaching on prayer, I feel convicted. From Matthew 5, 21 to 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. We are like Cain because, like Cain, the problem is sin. And sin is something we all struggle with. God's Word always has something to teach us. So what can we learn from this story? How does it relate to us? I want to look at three things. Cain's sin, the phrase brother's keeper, and God's response to sin in this passage. As we cover these, I will point out things we can do in our own sin, our own personal struggles with sin. First, Cain's sin. As we read through chapter 4, we see a number of Cain's sins, all laid out. Jealousy, envy, disobedience, turning from God, anger, and murder. All these sins appear to originate from this offering that was made to God. How can an offering to God be sinful? Cain was a farmer, and he was coming before God, bringing an offering of his work, the things he had grown, the produce that God had blessed him with. Abel was doing the same thing, bringing the firstborn of his flock and portions of fat to offer back to God. Just like we have taken the time to come here before God, and as we give our money, our sacrifice to God, this was worship. From verses 4 and 5, we may be able to conclude that Abel's offering was better than Cain's. Abel brought the first fruits of his work. He gave the best to God. Although it is unlikely that Cain brought damaged or rotten fruits and vegetables, from what is left out of the description of this offering, there was something different about Cain's offering. I'd never really pondered this before, but if we look closely at verses 4 and 5, Moses writes this, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Protestant theologian John Calvin, writing on this passage, points out that God just doesn't look at the offering, but he focuses on the person offering, stating this, God will regard no works with favor except those the doer of which is already previously accepted and approved by him. Meaning, God already knows our hearts and the reasons for our offering, for our work, for our worship. Cain's attitude, the reasonings for worship were probably wrong. Based on other reactions we see in this chapter, it is very likely as Cain repeatedly shows, that he was just out for himself. As a result, his worship was likely not really done in true worship to God. How often do we come to worship for the wrong thing, 
or with an attitude that is so far apart from wanting to worship, focusing on and glorifying God. It is hard to drop our life's issues and concerns at the door. That is where prayer is important and helpful. We can and should be bringing our daily concerns and life's issues to God often and regularly. As you walk into church and sit down, or you begin your time of worship, or partake in your devotional time, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you both a heart of worship and hearts and minds that are open to God's transforming power. Actually, our worship service is designed to do just this. The prelude, the music just before the start of the service, is to set the tone for what follows. It invites us to gather and transition through quiet meditation and prayer with the music from our busy lives into a place of communion with God. Next, the call to worship using a verse of Scripture calls God's people into His presence. Then we have a time of singing with a hymn, a choir anthem, and praise music, which further helps us set our hearts on God through prayerful singing where we can meditate on the words and music and set our hearts and minds on God. I hope you take advantage of this when you come into the worship. God knew Cain's heart just as he knows our hearts. Cain's heart was far from God. He was lost in sin. He was closed to the fact that he was made in the image of God. He didn't care to see others, Abel, as being made in God's image. And he forgot that as a child of God, he had a responsibility to represent God and bring honor and glory to him. Instead, Cain was absorbed in himself, concerned about his own glory and honor. Look at the end of verse 5. We don't know how Cain knew God had no regard for his offering, but he did, and Cain's response was to be very angry. Cain was envious of his brother Abel, of the regard that God had for Abel and Abel's offering. Cain's jealousy stemmed from his focus on himself and on his own desires and expectations. Even when God asked him about this in verse 6, why are you angry and why have your face fallen? Some different translations of face fallen are gloomy, downcast, despondent, and dejected. So even when God asked him, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? There was no talking with God. There was no repentance. Instead, Cain was seized with such vehement anger that his next act was to ambush and murder his brother. Cain could have handled his wrath differently in, in many of a variety of ways. Cain was a bad man. But we are so like Cain. I heard a quote from somebody who said, I never lost my temper once if I got what I wanted. James, Jesus' brother, talks about these feelings of envy and jealousy. James chapter 3, 14 to 16 says this, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I remember a time when I was very jealous and envious. I am embarrassed to say it took place when I was playing on my church softball team. 
I was the fastest player on the team, in part because I was youngest by about 15 years. I was also the best in shape. Therefore, I batted leadoff and I played left field, which in our league was the prime position. It required a lot of running, a good athlete. One game in the middle of the season, the captain of our team, Dick, who was also one of my best friends in the church, brought one of his co-workers to play on the team. Adam was my age, and he was very obviously an athlete. Dick announced that Adam would be batting leadoff and would be taking my place in the outfield. I was demoted to right field, and I was moved to the bottom of the order. I was jealous. I wanted to bat leadoff, and I wanted to play left field. It didn't, I didn't consider that Adam was really a better a batter, a better fielder. He was faster, and therefore he could help our team. My face fell, and I was angry the whole game. Dick noticed it, but I lied, and I told him nothing was wrong. When my turn came up to bat, I was so angry. I had never hit a home run, but I figured if I could put this ball over that fence, I would really show them. So I did something ungodly. I pretended that the ball was my friend Dick. And, and I smacked it so hard. I ended up just missing the fence and getting a triple. Dick came up to me and said that was the best he had seen me hit, and he asked what had, <laughs> he asked what had gotten into me. <clears throat> Again, I was silent on the truth. I was so consumed by my envy and jealousy that I skirted my relationship with my best friend, and I took my eyes off of glorifying God I missed an opportunity to welcome a new person onto our church softball team and do something more righteous like befriend him or invite him to church. I was lost in my sin. Tim Keller talks about sin using Martin Luther's definition of sin. Sin is man curved in upon himself. Keller goes on to say, what Luther means by that, and this is absolutely right, is the Bible defines sin as always focusing on yourself, always choosing yourself over God or others, always placing yourself in the center, always. God warns Cain, and it is therefore a warning to us. Look at verse 7. God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. After we have committed a sin, we need to come before God with that sin to seek repentance and forgiveness. Sin is persistent. It grows and it becomes consuming. If we always choose ourselves over God or always place ourselves in the center, we become lost in sin. We need to turn to God Pray in confession and repentance to have our hearts and thoughts changed. When God asks Cain why he is angry and why his face has fallen, this is the opportunity for Cain to come back to God. Think of the times when our face has fallen. We are gloomy, downcast, or despondent. It could be when we have a conflict between something we want to do and something we know we should do. Or those times when it is pointed out by a parent, a spouse, or a boss that we didn't quite do something as well as we should have. These are the times we need to talk to God, 
and or talk to a Christian friend or accountability partner. Remember, just like when God asked Cain, God already knows the situation. He knows our hearts. Sin is predatory. It exploits and oppresses others. It has a deadly life of its own. God warns Cain to rule over it, to turn it over to him, to come back to him. But jealousy and envy can grow into anger and hurt pride and then maybe something worse. Cain's envy turns to anger and in this uncontrolled sin, Cain murders his brother. God warns Cain about the evils in sin, how it grows and can be all-consuming, even to the place of murdering a brother. And sin can even be perpetuated in a family. We see this in the case of Lamech, Cain's great-great-great-grandson. Turn to verse 23. Lamech boasts to his wives that he killed a man who wronged him. Interestingly, Lamech is recorded to be the first polygamist. If a family knows nothing other than sin in their lifestyle and God is not present in their environment in which they grow up, as God expressed to Cain, sin may be crouching at your door. We need God. Families need God. So pray together as a family. Go to church and on Sunday school, go together as a family. Kids, Ask questions to your parents about Jesus and what it means to them to have Jesus in their lives. Not only will you learn and grow in your faith from this, but your parents will learn through your questions and conversations. I learned a lot from my children's questions and talks. Parents, explain to your children why you do the things you do and how Jesus Christ plays a part in this. We need God. When we focus on God, we will also become an example of the ways of God, His truth and His love. Verses 8 to 10 again show us and remind us of our omniscient, all-knowing God. He knows all things. We can't hide things from God. So although he asked Cain, where is Abel, your brother? God already knows that Cain has killed him. Cain's answer, am I, your brother's keep, am I my brother's keeper, is very interesting. Are we our brother's keeper? Are we supposed to look out for our neighbors? God doesn't really answer this question here. There's not a resounding yes. But God does express anguish over the death of Abel, one of his creations, one of his children. And when we consider God's law and Jesus' teaching about loving our brother and sister, our neighbor, how we care for them and treat them is a major consideration. The second half of the Ten Commandments are all directives on how we are to treat others. Jesus said the second command, greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is obvious we are not to murder, but we are also not supposed to act violently towards others. We read John's letter, 1 John chapter 3, earlier in the service, John supports Jesus' teachings on love, saying, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. As Jesus taught, even if we are angry with a brother or sister, we are guilty of murder. This means we should not even do something like gossip or quarrel. In your homes, 
Do you fight with your little brother or your little sister? Do you argue with your spouse or your coworkers? When I was in second and third grade, my sister, who was one year older and I, would argue and fight on almost every single car ride. I don't know how many times my dad would turn around and say, stop arguing, quit fighting with your sister. Do you purposely do things to get your brother or sister in trouble? I did, and then I would smile at her and point at her, you're in trouble. This is not being your brother's sister or keeper. We are not treating others well. I think we can come to the conclusion that in some big part, we are our brother's and sister's keeper. We are supposed to look out for our neighbors. This means we treat those around us well. John continues talking about this theme and idea in chapter 4. Verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Last month when we looked at the earlier chapters in Genesis, both Pastor Tracy and Pastor Andrew talked about people being made in God's image and how God made us to be in community with others. If we love God, we are to love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor means helping them when they are in need, encouraging them. It means showing God's love to someone by your actions. Is there someone at school or work who doesn't have any friends or gets picked on? Talk with them. Stand up for them. Do you have a neighbor who is elderly or know someone who is sick or lonely? Assist them with chores. Visit with them or sign up for our meal chain and bring a meal to someone. Then have compassion for them. Listen to their story. Encourage them. Share the gospel. Be the anti-Cain and let God's love permeate through our hearts so that we will respond rightly to our sin and to our neighbor. Yes, we are to look out for others in our love. We are our brother's keeper. The last thing I want to explore is how God responds to sin by looking at God's response to Cain's sin. There is punishment. Cain is banished. He is sent away from his home to be a fugitive and a wanderer. God's punishment for Cain's sin is not unjust. God could have had a much worse punishment for sin or murder. But this shows us much about the character of God, his grace and his mercy. God has a right to punish us for our sins against him and his creation, but he is gracious and merciful. Often the discipline for our sin is not what we would deserve. The world's idea of fair punishment is an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but God's discipline is usually done in a manner to make our sin more clear to us, to move us into a more righteous way. Oftentimes, my sins are made evident through a feeling of guilt or shame. I am shamed about a story I shared with a coworker that is bordering on if it is not truly is gossip. I feel guilty about words that I said to my wife Liz during a disagreement or an argument. These feelings are a chance for me to identify the sin and give it to God, praying for the Holy Spirit to change me so that I can be better next time, so I can handle that better next time. A second chance. 
As we see several times in this passage, God is a God of second chances, multiple chances even, because of his mercy and grace. In verse 6, God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? This is a chance for Cain to turn things around, to change how he's been feeling, acting, living. Cain could have redone, rethought his offering, and turned to God, but instead, Cain got angry, and he let the envy and jealousy against his brother Abel and Abel's offering come to the forefront. In verse 7, Cain did not heed the warning about sin. Instead, the envy and jealousy festered, becoming anger and intense jealousy and hurt, pride to murder. In verse 13, instead of showing remorse and any kind of repentance, Cain responds to God's announcement with concern only for his well-being. My punishment is greater than I can bear, he complains to God. It is unfair because you have made me a fugitive and a wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me. But God continues to show mercy to Cain, telling Cain that he will put a marker sign on Cain so that Cain would not be killed. God is a God of mercy and his mercy and grace often gives us a second chance. A commentator from the Basilica Church summed this up in a blog. It is well written, so I'm just going to read it. He wrote, The devastating results serve as a reminder of the consequences of sin, the consequences of being too proud to admit when we are wrong and change our ways. Cain lost his brother, was banished from his home, and was forced to wander the earth for the rest of his life. Yet even Cain's exile was a reflection of God's boundless mercy. After Cain murdered Abel, God allowed him to start a new life in a different place and marked him to prevent him from being killed by others. Through these acts of mercy, God reminds us that even in spite of our weakness or outright depravity, God is a God of grace and second chances. As 1 John chapter 1, 9 states, if we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from doing every wrongdoing. Cain and Abel's story parallels the story of Adam and Eve in that Cain sins, attempts to hide his sin from God, is given a second chance by God, and is ultimately exiled. Both serve as a reminder of the sobering reality of human sin's nature and the enduring promise of God's overwhelming grace in the face of our depravity. Finishing up chapter 4, we see more evidence of God's character and His grace. Verses 17 through 19, although sin continued to be an issue with some of Cain's descendants, we do see some accomplishments in the family line. Jubal, who is a father of all those who play the lyre and pipe, and Tubal Cain, who is the forger of all instruments in bronze and, and iron. And finally, in verse 25, Adam and Eve. They continued to honor God, they had another son, Seth, and at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord, a God of second chances, a God of mercy and grace. Cain was a bad man. Cain needed God. We need to hear the story of Cain because we are sinners too. We need God. We can repent and receive God's grace and mercy. We can, through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, Love our neighbors better because we are, are our brother's keeper. But ultimately, however, 
We are still sinners, and our sin has defaced the image of God in all of us. But God is the God of second chances, and in his ultimate act of grace and mercy, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to dwell among us. Jesus, who is perfect in his love for us, because we are not perfect, died on the cross as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Let us pray. Lord, fill our hearts with the love that only you can give so we can love our brothers and sisters the way you want us to love them. Thank you for the second chances you have given us in your mercy and grace through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.